Boondoggle podcast, boondoggle podcast, boondoggle podcast, boondoggle podcast. Read by the boondog, read by the boondog, read by the boondog, read by the boondog. Not written by him, he just found them in a book. Here we go. That is an introduction. Yes. Episode 5. Glad you've made it this far. I say that as if it's a challenge. It's not a challenge. I'm sure you're glad I've made it this far. But I do have to tell you, this is the penultimate episode of the series. Uh, I'm going to do six, like your classic British sitcoms. There'll be six episodes, and then we'll go on a little hiatus. Because, you know, it's a lot of effort looking for this book. I'll just fill you in on the book, actually. So the book, uh, well, the podcast, is... um, I'm sure if you got to episode 5, you know by now. Uh, I basically found a book. Um, I found a book full of all kinds of little stories. I was um, I was actually on my daily government-mandated exercise and uh, jogging around um, the field. And I tripped over this big um, book. It was in a bush. And I... Um, well, I brushed away all the leaves, all the mud and all like, everything, but the book actually stayed clean. You'd think, well, I don't know how long the book had been left there. It might have been left there by one of the canal boat people. Uh, maybe they wrote it, but, I mean, if you're listening, canal boat people, and you recognise these stories, please inform me, and I'll credit you. Um, but, yeah, so I yeah, I brushed away all this dirt, and then the book wasn't actually that dirty it was um it's got some sort of superpower that stays clean and so i took it home and i just looked in i had a little peek inside and it's got yeah it's got some pretty wacky stories in there so um yeah taking it upon myself i am the boondog uh because i'm reading the boondoggle uh taking upon myself to yeah act as a conduit for these stories but yeah, we're going to have a little hiatus after episode six um, because, yeah, finding the book, uh, yeah, it's, it takes a lot of work looking for the book uh, every week. Um, so, you know, got to have a little break. But don't worry, we will be back. Um, what news? Are, yeah. On my daily exercise, I did tell you a few weeks ago that, yeah, I do like skateboarding down a hill really quick. But I've noticed over the past few days that there are a few more cars out and about. A few more cars, which is making my downhill skateboarding a bit more a bit more dangerous. Um, but got to chase the excitement in these troublesome times. Uh, do I have any other news this week? No. Have you li- at the end of this episode has a little special song that I've made though. So uh yeah, keep listening to the end and you will be rewarded. I I haven't checked if my Austrian friend is still listening, but um if you are, hello. And um also hello to just yeah, all my English friends, all my friends from uh yeah, friends from just a couple of miles away. No matter how near or how far you are, you are all of equal value to me. Shall we begin with story number one? This one 
It's revisiting those old Wild West characters that we were introduced to last week. And here is their theme tune. Here we go now. The Wild West. Medium. The Wild Wild West in a nice place to be. Both into a family. Randall, Clark and Dorothy. Died together by equine matrimony. Oh, yeah. So this is the story of... Um, Dorothy Crocker and Randall Mulligan. They're an old, well, your classic odd couple. They, um, so Randall, he's a, well, he was a sheriff and now he's just left his life as a sheriff and um, he's gone on the run with, with Dorothy. And though they don't tend to get along too well, because of this intimate connection that their horses have somehow developed... They are now, well, they're they're stuck together, whether they like it or not. And just to make matters worse, Randall has brought a baby with him. He found it uh, in the bank, and he's called it Clerk. And he's just, well, he wants to look after the baby. Dorothy, she's sick of it. I mean, I won't go, um, won't go too deep into it. But I mean, as yeah, as I say every week, I haven't read these stories in advance. Because I haven't written them. I found them in a bush. For God's sake, you have to listen to me. All right. Um, if you, you might have noticed that there's... Well, I don't know. You might not have noticed. But I am... I'm standing up this week. Standing up telling it this. So if you feel like there's a bit more energy about it, that is because I'm standing up. I feel like I'm... I feel like I'm Russell Brand on his uh, radio show. It might not have the... Uh, the chilled out armchair vibe that you might have been used to in previous weeks. This this week's got more energy, more pizzazz. I might tend to move around the room a bit more. But yeah, let's go let's let's crack on. This story is called Raising Clerk. Clerk, the baby, wailed. Now you shut that thing up or I'll do it for you. Dorothy called from her tent. They had set up a camp a few miles away from Santa Fe, where they had just escaped from. Just a simple setup, with a tent each and a fire in the middle. Classic Wild West stuff. If I gotta hang around with you and that kid, because of some crazy feelings our horses seem to have gotten into, you gotta let me catch some Zeds. Randall poked his head out of the tent, clutching Clerk to his chest. Have some decorum, Dorothy. This kid has been forsaken. God forsaken. She poked her head out of her tent now. God forsaken this, godless that. Get yourself together, Randy. This is the Wild West. Ain't no bubble bath. He probably just needs feeding, that's all. Then feed the little shit, she replied. Dorothy, I would. But I haven't got... The means. Why, are you talking about breasticles? Mm-hmm. Can he have a go on yours? Said Randy. And he thrust Clerk towards her. She recoiled in horror. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You think anybody that got tits can simply give him a squeeze and you got yourself a milk fountain? Randall screwed his face up with a look of suspicion and confusion. You telling me they don't 
Dorothy threw herself backwards and rolled around in hysterics. Oh, yeah, Mr. Mulligan, why don't I just feed the whole town? Hey, everybody who needs a drink, hello, come, come, I'll go feed the 5,000. Who thought the new Jesus would be a woman? Randall was all embarrassed now, a rare sight. He held Clerk to his chest for comfort. Ain't no Jesus, cause there ain't no God. Now keep the noise down. Wally Harry Langdale could be looking for us. Dorothy pulled herself off the floor and tried to compose herself. Well, I guess we gotta get ourselves some milk then, said Dorothy. If you're sure you ain't got none, I guess a cow's the next best option. Dorothy leapt to her feet and put her boots on. What are you coming for? said Randall. Well, I ain't gonna miss out on a little adventure, am I? Very well. Lead the horses. Dorothy took a look at the horses to see they were otherwise engaged. This new horse love of theirs was in the early stages of romance after all. Let's go steal some cow's milk. They perched themselves on a hill overlooking a farm. The cows were milling about in the field and the light tinkling of cowbells filled the air. Just beyond the cow field was the farmer's house. Through the window, they could see the farmer settling down for dinner. Clerk, Randall whispered. You're going to have to keep it down a minute while your mama and papa get you some milk. You can be whatever you want to be, but I sure ain't no mama. Dorothy whispered back. Oh, that was too loud. She said it like this. You can be whatever you want to be, but I sure ain't no mama. Dorothy whispered back. Hold on a second. If you ain't got breasts full of milk all the time, how come those there cows do? I ain't seeing no little kid cows about. Dorothy thought for a second. Now I ain't no farmer. I'm an outlaw, baby. But if I know a little something about the female species, and I'll be damned if I don't, then I know there ain't no milk unless there's a kid. What are you saying? Randall looked at her with suspicion. I hate to break it to you, Randy. I think their kids have been taken. Randall dropped his head into the ground and tore at the grass with his outstretched hands. This is some godforsaken world. He moaned. Ain't there no justice in this life of here, in this here life of ours? Dorothy leapt on him and pushed his face harder into the mud, muffling his cries. You gotta get yourself together, Randall. This is the Wild West. I don't want you go... This is the Wild West. I don't want you to go adopting no baby cow. I got enough trouble with you by my side without the kid. And a cow too? Well, I may as well shoot myself in the head. Randall went quiet. Once he had composed himself, they headed down the hill towards their prized milk. Hush now, little one, Randall whispered to Clerk, soothing him slightly. They scampered along and crouched down by the nearest cow. The big pink udders stared them in the face, like, well, like giant nipples. They had milk in them, that was for sure. Randall pulled out his metal flask and handed it to Dorothy. Oh, you see me as some kind of milkmaid now, do you? Yes, sir. 
She shoved the flask. She shoved the flask back towards him. I ain't never milked nobody before. God's sake, what kind of life you led? Some pampered life of a sheriff? She snatched the fart fla- she snatched the flask back off him and held it under the udders. She squeezed them like a professional. This weren't her first milk heist. Randall remained quiet for a minute or two, mulling over her comment before coming back with Ain't lived no pampered life. Lived a god forsaken life. Although he said it quietly, Clerk sensed the pain in his voice and began to wail once again. Shut that thing up, said Dorothy, but it was too late. The farmer was out of the house with a shotgun. Classic. Come in now and we'll, I might just let you leave. They crouched behind the cow, considering their options. Leave it, said Dorothy. He'll give up soon. The farmer strolled through his cow field, shouting out, The milk is mine! The milk is mine! Randy had just about had enough. He leapt out from behind their cow, pulled out his pistol, and began firing at the farmer. With each shot, he shouted a word at him. You keep your hands off those cow kids! Each shot landed in the farmer's chest, propelled by Randall's pain and gunpowder. He turned round and returned to Clerk and Dorothy. Come on now, we got a baby to feed. And with that, they returned to camp and all slept delightfully. I'm definitely feeling the energy, feeling the energy of standing up. I quite like it. Makes me feel like I'm uh, recording an audiobook. But, yeah. I mean, that story did need the energy, didn't it? With the... Uh, well, you got your crazy Dorothy in. Well, uh, there's definitely there's definitely a dark past behind um, old Randall Mulligan that he's keeping stum. I think, well, who knows? In the future, maybe we'll get like a flashback of his uh, childhood. Uh, seeing what such a such a godforsaken child as he's had, because he clearly, um, yeah, he's clearly got some some things to settle, some debts, not debts to settle. It's clear there's clearly some issue that has been going round in his head that has made sure he just cares about kids a lot, cow kids, baby human baby kids, whereas Dorothy. Maybe, maybe, well, maybe something dark's happened in her past too that means that she doesn't care about anyone but herself. Um, I mean, they've both clearly got some troubled pasts that have driven them down different directions but have led them together. But, uh, yeah, that's, well, uh, a, a rollicking ride of a story from uh, from The Boondoggle, uh, the book we are reading from uh the the moral the moral of that story i'd say is uh once again look after the kids uh, and this time including look after the cow kids um who's to say though that randall and dorothy are the moral characters maybe the farmer is um i don't think there was a moral of that story 
just you know just get on with life and just just survive so uh not all stories have to have morals these aren't aesop's fables i was thinking um earlier this morning actually i was thinking maybe they are like aesop's fables but then i hadn't read the stories in advance and i got to this one and you know they're not all moral stories all right so let us crack on with story number two of the week all right so this is another story for our friend debbie snuggles the leading asm artist in hollywood these are the tales of debbie snuggles so this one is called halloween for jimmy kindle now he's a new character we haven't heard from him yet have we Debbie Snuggles and Jack Dingle stepped out of their limousine and looked up at the great big house of talk show host Jimmy Kindle. Swarms of celebrities flooded in, dressed in their hoity-toity Halloween outfits. Look at all these costumes, Debbie. Oh, Debbie. Look at all these costumes, Debbie. Why, maybe I'm a little scared myself. Don't you think you should have given it a try? Jack. You know I wouldn't stoop so low to dress up for this kind of affair. What's wrong with how I look right now? I know you're a fine-looking woman, but I told you, coming to Jimmy Kendall's party dressed as yourself is like giving him a great big slap in the face. If you want to gain respect in Hollywood, you got to play the game. If I wanted to gain any respect at all, I'd stop hanging around with you. Especially when you're dressed like a porcupine. The name's Pinhead, Debbie, and I know you don't mean that. Now let's head in and mingle. I heard Jeff Bozo is going to be there. He's got himself a new audio streaming website, and I think he's got your name all over it. For heaven's sake, Jack. That man represents everything I despise about this industry. I didn't have you down as a commie, Debbie. Let the man deal with his finances how he feels fit. Oh, grow up, Jack. He can do what he likes with that business. I think you've seen my swimming pool. I'm simply against that kind of trash that he streams on Bozone TV. The party was a real who's who of the cool cats and high flyers of Hollywood. Wherever you looked, well, the paparazzi could only dream of witnessing these sights. Jimmy Kendall knew how to throw a party. He saw Debbie and Jack arrive and made himself known. Hello! Welcome, my guests! And who might you be? Can't you see? He pulled out his fangs and gave her a big grin and laughed mani- mani- maniacally. <laughs> I am Dracula! But... Really, I am Jimmy, the host of this jovial affair. And you must be Debbie Snuggles. Uh, yes, Jimmy, that's me. Of course, I shouldn't know that, should I? Or did you not get the message? He looked around at all the revelers, insinuating something. I don't quite know what you mean, said Debbie. You don't? You couldn't possibly understand. 
what you've possibly done wrong on a night like this. Jimmy, Jimmy, I don't, I honestly don't know. Well, know this, your dreams of Hollywood are over. Coming in here, dressed like this, a regular civilian. It's absurd, and frankly, I won't have it. You may stay, as I don't want to ruin the fantastic time everyone's having. But this is the last party you attend in this stratosphere. He twirled his cape around his head and swooped off into the crowd, once again laughing like a man that had gone absolutely bonkers. Debbie and Jack stood in awkward silence for a minute before Jack eventually spoke. I'll run up to the bathroom, grab some bathroom tissues and wrap yourself up in them. There you are, you got yourself a regular bona fide Egyptian mama. Problem solved, baby. Jack shot off into the house to find supplies. Debbie tried to stop him, but it was too late. She stood on her own, like a bloody lemon, well aware of all the looks she was getting. Revelers pouring scorn on her lack of commitment to the Halloween vibe. But one group stood out to her coming out of the house. There were four of them, all wearing Che Guevara masks and matching red capes. They were all of identical height and weight, and they all had a matching rip in the right knee. Calm you nists, said a voice in Debbie's ear. It was Jimmy again. They're here to ruin the party. Why don't you just throw them out? It will cause a scene, and I don't want to ruin the party, of course. He laughed and twirled off into the crowd. Debbie longed to get out of this horror show. The comfortable sounds of Detective Ma'am's voice were what she needed right now. Meanwhile, in the bathroom, Jack Dingle was reeling off the toilet roll like no tomorrow. Oh, Debbie, I'm going to make you a fine mama. You're going to be the talk of Hollywood when you got this costume on. People were banging on the door. Just a minute, honey, he shouted. In order to avoid suspicion, Jack began to wrap himself in the toilet roll, turning himself into, turning himself into a pinhead mummy. He emerged from the bathroom and barged through the queue. However, the pins had pierced through the paper, obscuring his view. What could be happening here? Instead of heading downstairs, he tripped and fell into a room that said, Do not enter on the door. He landed with a thud and heard a, mu- and heard a murmur. Help me. Help me. He turned the light on to see the rich, bold head of Jeff Bozo, with blood coming from his mouth. Oh dear God, was this me? Was this me and my goddamn pinhead? He slammed the door shut behind him. Jeff was trying to say something, but it was inaudible. Oh Jeff, speak to me man, come on Bozo. But Jack couldn't hear a word. He picked up his phone and dialed Debbie. Jack, are you ready to go home now? I think I've found myself in a little bit of a pickle. I'm in the room that says, do not enter. What are you doing in there for? That sure ain't gonna win you any respect in here. I need your help. There's some real trouble. Help? Trouble? Well, I'll be there in a jiffy. Debbie leaned over Jeff Bozo. Oh, what the hell have you done, Jack? 
Have you gone and killed Jeff Bozo? I thought you liked him. Jeff was trying to say something. I don't know, Deb. I really don't know. All I know is he's got some important information in that mouth of his, and I can't quite hear it. But what I do know is... That I have experience with quiet sounds. Yes, I do. All of those ASMR videos I've made has heightened my hearing to superhuman levels. What I'll do is I'll listen in closely to Jeff to see what he's saying. She leaned in close and just about made out the word. Communists, she said. That was his last word, and then he was gone. What on earth kind of talk does that mean? That's who did it, Jack. That's who killed Jeff Bozo. Jack was thrilled. He was off the hook. He ran to the window overlooking the garden of festivities, yanked it open and shouted, Hey everybody, I got some important news for you. The guests turned to listen. Jeff Bozo is dead. They all gasped. But Debbie Snuggles here worked out who did it. Tell him, Debbie. The communists, she said, but nobody could hear. It was the communists, Jack shouted. The whole group cheered with joy. It was unclear whether they were happy at the death of Jeff Bozo or at the fact that his killers had been caught. However, they all began chanting, Derby, 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 Derby. So whatever the opinion on the previous matter, it was clear they were all in favour of Debbie Snuggles. Jack and Debbie returned to their limousine as the communists were being thrown in the back of the police car. Well, Debbie, you've got and done yourself proud today. Of course, I'm not against the amount of action we're going to get from the goddamn paps. Jack, you've got so much to learn. I hope you made good with those celebrities you so adore tonight. Because you and me, well, our time together won't last forever. Debbie just keeps finding herself in trouble. Um, wherever she goes, well, what's the f- so the first story she well she was called to action, and that really got herself a taste for detective work and that kind of thing. And then um, yeah, then the next story she um, where 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 was she? oh yeah the terrorist attack at the Tingleys the ASMR ASMR awards and then a a bloody murder of old Jeff Bozo at the uh, the big Halloween party of Jimmy Kindles but she just doesn't she doesn't play those Hollywood games but nonetheless she helps them out I mean she just likes she likes the action of uh, Saving the world, I guess. She's, uh, I mean, she's, she's quite self-obsessed, I guess, in a way, but not in a Hollywood way. She wants to be recognised as something special, which I guess is better than being recognised for something. I mean, acting is a very respectable profession, but, uh, well, think about it like this. If there were no more detectives in the world or no more actors, which world would be better? It's not such an obvious answer, actually, and that's just a rhetorical question because 
that's one that you can just think about for yourself. I don't have the answer to that one. Um, I know it'd be better if there were no murders than no detectives and no actors. Um, but uh, yeah, it's better to... But it's unclear as to watch the more respectable profession. But um, there we go. Again, a moral for that story is, yeah, just be just be at the right place at the right time and um, just heighten your hearing if you can in any way possible. Um, so, um, yeah, if you heighten your hearing, then you'll be in a better position to be able to solve crimes. So there's the moral. Aesop didn't have that one in his fables, did he? Let us proceed with story three of the week. And who is it? It's our good old friend, Angus, the Iron Deficiency Man. The Power of Iron. This week's story is called The Irony of It All. Ah, I see what they did there. It's a, a reference to that, uh, well, probably a reference, it could be a reference to that street song, The Irony of It All, but they've put a, a dash before the Y, so it says The Irony of It All. Clever stuff from the whoever wrote The Boondoggle. Once again, I have to confirm, I did not write The Boondoggle, I found it in a bush. After just two days of life in Iron Pills, Inc., Angus had found himself off the factory floor and into the sales department. Of course, he still slept on the factory floor. It was the least suspicious place to hide, and he had struck up quite a bond with Old Wrinkles. Angus brought down a fresh piece of cardboard for Old Wrinkles, and and in exchange, he would tell him stories as he went to sleep. I was nearly in the Olympics, you know. The Team GB coach had never seen a man so quick. I was swift like the cheetah. A hundred meters in nine seconds and twenty-three milliseconds. I was destined for greatness. But my desire was my downfall. You must be careful. Soon enough. They tested me. But did they find steroids? No, they did not. Did they find evidence of... (laughs) Did they find evidence of blood doping? No, they did not. Do you think they found cocaine? Not so, no. But iron... Yes, that is what they found. That was the day they dropped me. There was no recovery after that. But Angus was fast asleep, dreaming of his place as the head of Iron Pill Inc. Angus's promotion had taken him upstairs to the sales department. For the first week, Angus followed the script he was given. Good morning. 
We heard you were in need of some iron. But that got him nowhere. People were suspicious. How had the people at Iron Pills Inc. heard the heard the individual needed iron? Did they have access to their medical records or had the evil conglomerate sold their data from in-home devices? The truth was, they hadn't heard anything. It was all talk. So Angus scrapped it and went off on his own. For he believed himself to be a living example of the power of iron. The trouble was, he didn't want to make it so obvious that every goddamn person would be getting the benefits he had. As the saying goes, if everyone's iron, no one's iron. The calls went something like this. Hello? Do you want iron? Why wouldn't you want iron? Excuse me, madam. It is good for you. I don't know what it does, but it's something super. I wouldn't have got this job without iron pills. Honestly, brilliant. Twenty bottles? Oh, no, you won't need that many. I'm telling you because I care. I wouldn't want you to waste your money. Two a month will do you. And he put the phone down. Almost every call was a sale for Angus, and the rest of the office looked to him with disdain. Nonetheless, this was hardly the feeling of a firework up his ass. This was barely even a birthday candle. Dr Robert Palmer met Jessica in a cafe. He leaned back in his chair and gazed at her, sipping her tea. Hey, you sure I can't buy you something a little... stronger? he said. Coffee? Oh no, Doctor! I can't handle it. It goes right through me, she replied. Well, what on earth are we doing here then? Well, look, doctor, it may not be important to you, but I care what my little Angus is doing an awful lot, and I want to help him out. He doesn't know what he's doing. Can't we just go to the police? It seems pretty simple to me. Oh, absolutely not. Have you heard about the way they treat addicts in the prison system? They make very little effort to rehabilitate and instead focus more on punishment, thus exacerbating the problem and solving absolutely nothing. I read something like that anyway. Well, suit yourself, sweepy. What else you got? I'm going to have to solve it myself. I'm going into Iron Pills, Inc. Undercover. Oh, for God's sake, why'd I ever get involved with either of you maniacs? Jessica downed her tea and stormed out of the cafe, leaving Dr. Robert Palmer all flustered. Why did you need to tell me that? Why am I even here? After just a week at the factory, Angus had a plan to get to the top. He set the first step in action with a meeting with Mr. Higginbottom. Oh, what gives me the pleasure of this meeting with yourself? Your conveyor belt tip is working wonders, by the way. I give you the pleasure. Not like that. He slid over a spreadsheet he had printed out. I mean, I've looked at my sales records, and I... I've looked at my sales records, and I do not believe it wrong to say that I am the most valued member of your team. In just five days, I have sold more than my colleagues in a month. Uh, yes, this this is impressive. Congratulations, Mr. Angus, but what would you like me to do about it? Well, sir, I would like the top spot. Head of sales? 
Well, it's a bit too soon for that, don't you think? Not head of sales. The top spot. Your job. Head of Iron. Pills, Inc. Mr. Higginbottom guffawed. He'd never heard such an outrageous suggestion in his life. Do you know how I got to this position? I worked with my father for thirty years, day in, day out, learning the trade. And when he died, I was there, ready to take the helm. You have been here for five days. Angus kept his cool. You see, I thought you might say that. So I took the liberty of printing out this photograph. He pulled it out and slammed it on the table. This man has been working in your warehouse for over 30 years. Look what it has done to him. It was a picture of the old and wrinkly man himself. Old wrinkles. He's just very old. That's perfectly normal. No, he's 48. Mr Higginbottom gasped. He is ghastly. He truly is. And when the board hear that your working conditions have driven a man to this state, along with your idea to increase the conveyor belt speed last week, well, I doubt they'll be too sympathetic at I doubt they'll be too sympathetic at all. That was your idea. Hmm. I don't remember being credited or mentioned in a weekly newsletter anywhere. I was getting round to it. Mr. Higginbottom, it's too late. I think you'll be hearing from the board in the new fitting in the near future, and it won't be good news. You're a real rat, you are, Angus. You won't get away with this. And Angus turned to him for the last word. You and me were in the same game, except I got the iron. And you got the briefcase. Then he left the room, leaving the news to linger with Mr Higginbottom. Oh, God! I think Angus's voice went a bit, um... Geoffrey Rush then. A bit Captain Barbosa. But uh, nonetheless, I mean, maybe that's just the way it develops after... Because, you know, like, um... Like in Breaking Bad, how Walter is a bit of a quivering, quivering, weak man, but then when he gets powerful, he's got a bit of a stronger voice, and I think that's the voice of, um, yeah, Angus. He's becoming more powerful because of his, he's becoming, he knows how to use the iron for optimum ability. So he's, he's quite cunning, a cunning bloke, um, and his moral compass is definitely gone out the window it seems he used to be looking for excitement in doing good but now he just he just wants to own all the iron um i mean who wouldn't really but um well not me but a man that's got a severe iron addiction well it's exactly where he'd want to be um it's kind of like scarface actually as well isn't he but uh, yeah, we're all. It seems like we're driving towards a pretty major season finale with um, Jessica heading in undercover. Uh, I wonder if she'll join the sales team or the factory floor. 
Um, yeah, as I said, I haven't read ahead, so I don't know. Um, yeah, how it'll go. But yeah, uh, uh, moral of the story: Is there one? Is there? Well, you could say it's use use whatever you can to get ahead. Is that a moral or is that just oh Machiavellianism? Um, yeah, maybe it's not a moral. Once again, these aren't Aesop's fables. I'm telling you, these are the Boondoggle, and he's just got a mind. Well, I don't. I, I have no idea of the the character, the personal character of the writer of the Boondoggle because I, yeah, I've never met him or her. Um, so we can only um assume things um and i don't know if he's a good man or a bad man or woman for all i care um so we'll just have to it's quite nice isn't it it's like um when jk rowling wrote um uh those books as robert galbraith um she she kind of had her identity to remove any assumptions you may make about what her writing should be and so now you've got a book by whoever wrote the boondoggle and we've we we've just got the writing and some may argue that's all books should be just the writing um i mean i'm quite bad for that whenever i look at a uh, personal wikipedia i always go straight to their personal life section see who they've been in relationships with but perhaps yeah, it it colours my view on their writing. But maybe it adds an extra dimension. I'm just rambling now. Um, anyway, that is the story. That is all three stories for this week. Um, do I have anything else to add? No. Uh, yeah, they, if you yeah keep listening to the end and you will hear uh, a little song I've written. Um I made it on the Korg Chaosolator app, which they made free this week. Uh, no, they, they made free a few weeks ago because of the whole lockdown thing. And I've just been messing about with it. And, uh, well, I'll let you decide for yourself. But, yeah, it's all about the current hype of quizzing that we're current, we're going through in lockdown. Um, yeah, have a listen and see for yourself. But... I will say goodbye um, and see you next week for the great finale. Um, I know there's a lot of fan theories on the internet as to where these stories will go, but I'll say nothing more. Well, I can't say anything more because, yeah, I haven't read ahead. All right. Um, so what's my what's my sign off? Um, thanks for listening. No, what was it? Good, good night. No, good morning. Goodbye, good night, good afternoon, good evening. I have been the Boondog and you have been listening. Oh, goodbye. Enjoy the song.
Questions about the past and recent history. You don't have to quiz. 